I heard you did a pilot. A podcast. That was my 15 minutes. What was it? It was a show called Late Seating. What? Late Seating. We reviewed classic movies to see if they lived up to their reputation. Jason's speciality on the show was to have freakouts over content. What was your special? Reference the MacGyver TV show mostly. Oh, and Star Trek. Well, we both did that. We told a lot of jokes at the filmmaker's expense. You know any animal jokes? Unfortunately. Tell me. Uh, no, they were really mean spirited. Don't be that way. Tell me. No, you won't like it, and I'll be embarrassed. You'd be embarrassed. You told like 50 million people, and you can't tell me? I promise I won't laugh. <laughs> More like 50 people. And that's what I'm afraid of. But if you just got to hear it, I got an episode on me. Here, you listen and shoot heroin, and I'll order the $5 shakes. English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good. Right, Steve? Oh, its reputation couldn't hardly be any better. Well, I mean, for some people, other people don't like the nasty violence and all the cuss words. That's right. It makes them feel uncomfortable watching it, right? And the, the glorification of drug use. That's right, and all the pop culture references make them feel ill. Yeah, and it happens out of order. And sometimes monologues that go on too long that build character just make people incensed and storm out of a movie theater. (laughs) Oh, God, now you're making me hate it. (laughs) What movie could we possibly talk about, Steve? We are going to be talking about the signature film of the career of one Quentin Tarantino, 1994's Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, yay, finally a good movie. (laughs) It's about damn time. (laughs) So Steve, before I tell you who made it, um, do you have any trivia for Pulp Fiction? I do have some trivia for Pulp Fiction. Well, lay it on me, baby, because that's what I'm here for. (laughs) Get ready for the trivia, because here it comes. So two of the most iconic props from this film... Those would be the Malibu that uh, Vincent Vega drives and yeah. the bad motherfucker wallet that belongs to Jules. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say it was his heroin shoot-up kit. <laughs> and the maybe, band-aid off of Ving Rings' head <laughs> on the back of maybe, his head. Maybe those as well, but I don't have confirmation. But I know definitely that the Malibu and the bad motherfucker wallet both actually belonged to Quentin Tarantino. No. Yes, those were both... Quentin Tarantino's property, and he used them in the film. And there's a story behind the Malibu, because the Malibu was actually stolen in 1994 while they were still making the movie. I guess they had shot all of the scenes with it already, but the film was still in production, and Tarantino's Malibu was stolen, and it was not recovered until 2013, by which point it had been bought and sold several times by people who had no idea that it had been Quentin Tarantino's Malibu. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought it was going to send people out there to shoot him. (laughs) And one other... One other other thing I just want to remark, Um, you know, Jules taking out a wallet that says bad motherfucker on it makes perfect sense. 
Quentin Tarantino taking out a, a <laughs> wallet that says bad motherfucker on it is the height of irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It tells you a lot about Quentin, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Um, uh, also, this is one of my favorite little bits of trivia that also tells you something about uh, Tarantino once you learn the story behind it. Okay. Jules, of course, in this film, quotes from a Bible passage that doesn't actually exist in any real Bible translation. The The verse exists. The reference is real. Ezekiel yeah. twenty five seventeen is really in the Bible. Uh-huh. But as Jules says it, that's not written anywhere in any translation of the Bible. So a lot of people assumed that Tarantino wrote that embellished version of the verse himself, but he didn't. It's actually taken from the introduction of a 1976 film starring Sonny Chiba called Karate Chiba, or also called The Bodyguard. It begins with that version, that fictionalized uh, rewritten version of Ezekiel 2517, which Tarantino Mm -hmm. then took and just rewrote it a little bit and changed a few words and and took out a, a reference to The Bodyguard that had been put into it and gave that to Jules. So it it's not Tarantino rewriting the Bible. It's Tarantino rewriting a Sonny Chiba movie that rewrote the Bible that gives us this iconic version of Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. Right. Great. So Quentin Tarantino lifted from a film and put it in this film. <laughs> yeah, which I've never heard of him doing that before. No, just you know what? If there was not a film industry before Tarantino, he would not exist. He, his, he would not exist. <laughs> he would be he's, sitting. He would be sitting a in a walking, dirt lot. He's a walking video <laughs> store and not a blockbuster, which just carried common movies. He's that one out of the way, run by a creepy guy who has all of the foreign. He has his foreign film section is larger than yeah. his American film section. Oh yeah, he's got an entire wing dedicated to black exploitation and obscure yeah. horror movies from Italy. He was like I- that guy. He was like that guy who ran the video store in Pawnee in Parks and Rec that had to be <laughs> turned into a porn store in order to survive. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, do you want to hear who made it? I would love to. Let's do it. You ready? Let's hear who made it. Okay, it was directed by Quentin Tarantino. You guys know who he is. <laughs> He's the director for our generation, basically. I mean, I mean, maybe Robert Rodriguez's career goes way up and way down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who else. Who else do we have? Who else do we got? Uh, well, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Cohen Brothers. Uh, are they our generation? Well, that's true. They're a little older. They're just yeah. they're like the in betweeners between Scorsese and Tarantino. There's you know. Them and uh, what's his face? The guy who did the Sam Raimi. The Sam Raimi. <laughs> the Sam Raimi. We got him and Peter Jackson, but I mean, Quentin Tarantino is going to be the guy who's going to be referenced for the next 200 years, so. Yeah. It's him. It's produced, so I don't have to tell you what other movies he's made because you've probably seen them already. And <laughs> he if made you all don't, the- then why are you listening to this show if you don't know who Quentin Tarantino is? He made all those other Quentin Tarantino movies. Did he? Yeah, he did. And he, d- I don't know if it's confirmed that he has a foot fetish. So if you're looking for that information about him on this show, we don't have it, okay? That's right. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It's his personal business. Just because one of the biggest scenes in the film at the very beginning is all about massaging someone's feet doesn't mean nothing. Right. It's not a confirmed fact about him, like it's, his N-word fetish. That's it's right. It's something that is rumored. Right. So don't come to us, because we don't know. And yeah. even if we did, we'd never tell you. <laughs> we, we would never betray Terrence. Tarantino to you? 
It was produced by Lauren Spender, written by Quentin Tarantino, story by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. Now, Roger Avery was his writing partner for the first few films. Yeah. And he helped him write True Romance and Reservoir Dogs and this movie. And a lot of people say that since they split, his writing's gotten different. And I will agree, his writing has gotten different. In some cases, better. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, he's, he's, what has Roger Avery done on his own? Has he done anything? Um, he's done a few things, but... I, it's hard for I can't uh, think of anything off the top of my head. That's right. We're not um, a movie yeah. database. <laughs> <laughs> Although the database I'm looking at right now says he directed the films Killing Zoe and the Rules of Attraction. So oh, there you those go. great movies! Yay! <laughs> those timeless classics of cinema. I watch those every week. All right, starring John Travolta as Vincent Vega. How about that? Now, <clears throat> this role was originally written for Michael Madsen. But he decided to do Wyatt Earp instead, and ever since then he said, "I made a mistake. I should have done. I should have done Pulp Fiction. I agree with you. Uh, it didn't work out, you know." The studio had an opinion on who they wanted. You know who they wanted? Who did they wanted? Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, I've heard that. Can you imagine how different this movie would have been? Well, one, I mean, Daniel Day Lewis would have applied himself. He would have oh, been yeah. fine. It would have been, been interesting fine. because Daniel Day Lewis doesn't really have a type. He just disappears into the role. So I, yeah, right. it they, would have been very interesting. They'd put that wig on him. He'd be fine. Samuel L. Jackson as Jules Winfield. This role was written for him. But another guy read for the part of Jules, and then all of a sudden maybe he wasn't going to get it, but then they came out of their fucking stupor or whatever it was that caused him to think that he wasn't perfect for this part, and he got cast. Now, the guy who they were debating back and forth about was uh, the guy who winds up playing the bartender. Yeah. (sighs) Uma Thurman is Mia Wallace. Hey, Steve. Yeah? They want other people in this part. Who else did they want? Well, and these are real head scratchers. You ready? Oh, boy. I can't wait. Okay. Holly Hunter. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Great Steve's actress. whole face just scrunched up well, trying, it, to, trying to put Holly Hunter into the Yeah. Movie. Holly Hunter is a great actress. I yes, cannot she is. Pic- I cannot picture her in this role at all. Me either. Meg Ryan? No, yeah. I can't. I too can't. sweet. Too nice. Yeah. yeah. Alfre Woodard. That would have been different. interesting. Yeah, it would have been yeah. interesting. And Meg Tilly, too easy. <laughs> Meg, just be yourself. Harvey Keitel as Winston Wolf. You know Harvey Keitel from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And a bunch of other movies. Yeah. Jeez, he's great. I love him. He's fantastic. Tim Roth as Ringo slash Pumpkin. Guess who the studio wanted? Oh, who did the studio want? Johnny Depp or Christian Slater? I think I think Tim Barf. Roth was the better choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tim Roth was the better choice. Amanda Plunder? Plunder? Amanda Plunder. I'm changing her name. That's better. <laughs> she wants to distance herself from her dad anyway. Yeah. Amanda Plummer as Yolanda or Honey Bunny. You know her. She's been, oh my God. How many movies has she been in at this point? I think she's been in all of them. You know, she's ugly cute. I've had a crush on her since forever. Like she's, forever. Yeah, she's great. She's a great actress and you guys would probably know her from Fisher King yeah bunch of TV she's been she's been in everything guys Maria de Medeiros as Fabian and you guys might know her she's uh, I think a Portuguese actress yeah and she was in Henry and June and yes I don't blame you if you never saw that <laughs> I, I sat through it, and I barely saw it myself. So I saw it because of my deep and abiding love of Fred Ward. It makes a, a, a weird, weird date movie. It's yeah. a weird date movie to go on. <laughs> yes. 
Ving Rames as Marcellus Wallace. Um, guess who they wanted? Guess who they originally approached? Oh boy, I have no idea who. Sid Haig. Really? Yeah, Sid wow. Haig. Now, you guys may not know Sid Haig. He's done a lot of, uh, well, he did a lot of TV. Yeah. And uh, he's done movies where he's usually playing a scary guy. Yeah, he does a lot of mostly horror stuff lately, yeah. And, well, he does a lot of, uh, what's his name's horror movies? Yeah, Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. Movies, yeah. He's a good actor. He's, he's I, fantastic. I he, but I couldn't picture him in this part. No. Ving's perfect. Yeah. Eric Stoltz is Lance. And you know Eric Stoltz from Mask and being fired from Back to the Future. Oh. And something else, I'm sure. Some bad sci-fi movies, I think. And, uh... He was in the sequel to The Fly. That thing never should have been made. And, um, <laughs> guess who they wanted to play Lance? Who? Gary Oldman. Wow. Well, okay. I read the script, and originally in the script, he is an English guy. Oh, and okay. So, yeah. Rosanna Arquette is Jody, and they wanted either Pam Greer. Wow. And one other person that read for it. You ready? Who? Who else? Bu- buckle in. Oh, boy. Smarty pants. Okay. Mr. I know everything about movies. You ready? Who else? Ellen DeGeneres. Wow. <laughs> Can you see her doing the monologue about all her piercings? <laughs> Not in that same voice. Yeah. They didn't cast Pam Greer. Originally, they wanted Pam Greer, but they couldn't see anybody yelling at Pam Greer. Yeah. So it wasn't going to fit. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't imagine Eric that. Stoltz pushing Pam Greer around. Yeah, exactly. Christopher Walken is Captain Coons. Do I even? Do I even? No, I don't. <laughs> He's been in some films. He's been in some films. Bruce Willis is Butch Coolidge. Do I? Do I have to? <laughs> now, he took a big pay cut for this movie on his initial pay, but he got a percentage of the gross, so he oh, made yeah. some money off of this thing. Oh, yeah. He lent his star value to it. He reminded everyone that he can act. Yeah. And yeah. And we just went out. And also, it, uh, what happens to this character works for him because we've seen him go through a meat grinder in other films. So we buy it yeah. when he goes through this one. All right. Phil Lamar is Marvin. Now, you guys may know Phil Lamar from Mad TV, mm-hmm. but you probably know him a little bit better as half the voices on Futurama. Oh, yeah. He's a big, big um, voiceover actor. So he's he played Kiff and other people. <laughs> <laughs> and was also the John Stewart version of the Green Lantern in Justice League Unlimited. Yes. And he is great in that. Frank Whaley as Brett. You know Frank Whaley from a bunch of TV from a bunch of movies and TV. Yeah, he's you recognize him. Quentin yeah. Tarantino as as himself. I'm sorry, as Jimmy. <laughs> Angela Jones as Esmeralda Villalobos. Nothing. Dwayne Whitaker as Maynard, <laughs> nothing. Peter Green as Zed, you'll recognize him from some other stuff where he plays a creepy dude. He always seems to play a creepy dude. No. And Stephen Hibbert as the GIMP. <laughs> His star-making role. Cinematography by Andrzej Zechula. Edited by Sally Menke. Production company, A Band Apart and Jersey Films. Hey, which one of those belongs to uh, the person that's uh, partially responsible for Quentin Tarantino even being a thing? You know who I'm talking about? I think I know who you're talking about. Who do you you think I'm talking about? Are you talking about that horrible person who has been outed as a sexual predator? No, I'm not talking about Weinstein. No. No, I don't um, is My brain is literally fallen out of my head. I can see him. I can't remember his name. He was on Taxi. God damn it. Oh, Danny DeVito, of course. Danny DeVito. Yes, Danny DeVito. Yeah, absolutely. Danny DeVito did Jersey Films. He's one of the people that put in money for Reservoir Dogs. He is one of the people that backed this movie as well. Um, Without Danny DeVito believing in this kid... (laughs) 
And never once asking to be in any of the movies. Yeah, that's right. Um, we wouldn't have Quentin today. Yeah. Distributed by Miramax, that film company headed by that guy that we won't talk about. There you go. That's the one I was talking about. Uh-huh. That <sighs> monster who ruined movies for 20 years. <laughs> Release date, October 14th, 1994. Running time, 154 minutes. Budget, 8 to $8.5 million. Box office, $214 million. Mm-hmm. Guaranteeing that we get a sequel. Pulp Fiction 2. Yay. Well, actually guaranteeing that Quentin Tarantino could basically go on to make whatever the hell movie he wants for the rest of his life. So long as he continued to bring it in at that yeah. kind of that kind of budget. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just about anything he wanted. He doesn't... Here's the great thing about Tarantino. He's not asking for a bunch of special effects. Right. He's not asking for, you know, huge name stars. He casts who he wants to cast. And most people want to be in it because his scripts are fucking awesome and his movies are good. So he can keep his budget kind of low, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Every once in a while, he'll spend a lot of money. I think he spent a lot of money on Django. A little bit of money on... There, there was a little bit of money on Django. Yeah. But then he'll turn in what is essentially a bottle film, like uh, The Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, yeah. Which is like filming a play. <laughs> it's like, did that cost anything other than the actor's salaries? <laughs> yeah. And he'll bring in... He'll always make sure to bring in money, so good on you. He's going to quit soon, I think. Yeah. He said he's going to quit. Well, he's been after saying he, that forever, though. After he does Star Trek. Yeah, which, <laughs> you know... Well, I'm I'm curious to see, one, if that actually happens. Yes. And two, what the hell that's going to be like. Oh, it'll be so good. Oh, I'm so sure it'll be great. So many monologues. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> the, the, instead of Space the Final Frontier, it'll be a quirky 10-minute monologue about something... Exactly. Yeah. And he's a good enough writer, I think, to keep it within within uh, canon. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think he would. Die. I think that would probably be what would attract him to the project. Exactly. To do his Star Trek, but to make sure that it fits with what has already been done. Yeah. You know, everyone has the jokes where it's going to have you know the move the music from the eight seventies and and sixties or whatever. But I don't. I think he can apply himself if he has a distinct interest in something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fuck it. Well, because he. I mean, people don't realize he's he directed TV episodes. He directed an episode yes. of ER. He directed a couple episodes of CSI, and they weren't yeah. they weren't completely off model for the shows. They were still within the universe and the established rules of the show it just had a lot better camera work (laughs) (laughs) and he's definitely someone who knows how to set up a camera quick oh yeah and get the shots that he wants yeah okay are we done talking yeah yeah we should save some of this praise for the end all right come on let's get into character oh yeah okay we need shotguns All right, I got my black suit on. We don't look conspicuous at all, do we? No, we don't. We definitely don't look like hitmen. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> all right, well, let's take the elevator up and talk about foot massages before we <laughs> kill some college kids. Yeah. As we, high on heroin, drift our way into <laughs> the world of pulp fiction. Steve, take it away. Hey, did you ever wonder what the definition of the word pulp is? Never in my life. Me neither. (laughs) But if you've seen this movie, you know what it means now, because the first title card is is the American Heritage Dictionary definition of the word pulp. Well, the first definition is like a formless mass, right? Yes. Yeah. And then the second one is um, garbage that people read. (laughs) <laughs> and subsequently romanticized as they grew older. That's right. And so felt nostalgic English over. lesson, where we go then? Well, then we find ourselves in a little diner or coffee shop, if you will. 
Uh-huh. And we meet two people who are sharing breakfast at a booth. And these would be, as far as the only names we get for them at this point, are Pumpkin, played by Tim Roth, and Honey Bunny, played by Amanda Plummer. Yeah. And and we sort and they're of, having a, they're having a discussion about their finances. Yeah, yeah, they're having a discussion Just like about any other couple. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, nothing, nothing unusual. And then no. gradually, as we continue <laughs> to eavesdrop on them and hear what they're talking about, it becomes clear that yeah. what they're actually talking about is quitting their jobs as thieves. <laughs> they oh, don't, they don't want to rob liquor stores anymore, which is apparently what they do. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And he has a few racist things to say about shopkeepers and stuff and people. Yeah. And that sets kind of a tone for the film, too. Because <laughs> there's a lot of racist characters in this movie. There are. Yeah. But what do they finally decide? Because they can't go straight. They don't want to get a regular job. No. Well, and they don't want to stick up banks and stuff anymore or, you know, shops. So what are they going to do? They decide to make kind of a lateral move and to keep uh-huh. to keep sticking places up. But instead of sticking up liquor stores or banks, they're going to stick up restaurants like like this place that they're sitting in right now they found a way to do it yay oh, it's they're good. so in love it's so great when you see young people finally when you see a couple yeah. work out a potential damaging part of the relationship which is usually finances yeah and they find a workable work solution to their problems it's really nice and reassuring they then immediately stand up <laughs> and morph into monsters they become like <laughs> just just incredibly scary violent people they pull out their guns and say this this is a robbery. And and there then, will be no negative outcome to our decision at this point, right, Steve? <laughs> right. Because and, then we cut to what? Well, then we, we cut to the credits. Yeah. Uh, which are awesome and incredibly audacious because we see the main title scroll up like in humongous mm-hmm. font. Um, and then after after the, the credits, we meet uh, Vincent and Jules who are in the car on their way somewhere. And they are also having a quirky conversation. Oh, are they just talking about, you know, restaurants and stuff? They're Yeah, they're talking about, because Vince has apparently been overseas for a while. He just got back from Europe, and he's telling Jules about how the things in Europe are the same as they have here, but different. Like what? Like, well, you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in Paris? Uh, uh fuck your face. No, they don't fuck faces That's, they, over they there. They cuss a lot in this movie. Is it something <laughs> like, I'll fucking, I'll fuck, fuck your face burger. Is that what it is? Yeah, no. I'm in character for the movie. <laughs> fuck your face burger is a whole chain. That's They don't have that at McDonald's. <laughs> Fairly certain that's a that's a Burger King thing. Anyway, uh, yeah, so the fuck that, about that. That's, that's what the Whopper is called. You can drink beer. It's called the drink. fuck your face burger. Yeah, you can, yeah. He talks about how you can get you can get a glass of beer at a movie theater. What are you and, talking about? I can do that now. I can get beer and wine at a movie theater if I wanted. But could you do that in 1994? Oh no! Well, there you go. My oh, friend. okay. Those things have changed since then. I get it. So, so, so this movie is dated and it sucks. But what else is great about Europe? Well, if you're in Amsterdam and you happen to have some marijuana on you, it's yeah. legal It's legal to carry it. Yeah. And if a cop stops you, they're not allowed to search you. Oh, well, that's nice. That's... So we're just talking about a couple of guys who do recreational drugs. Yeah. One's just come back for a trip. They're just happy, fun guys, right? Yeah, they're One just One of buddies. them is named Jules, and he's Samuel Jackson. I yeah. don't have to describe him, except he has a Jerry Coral wig on. Yep. And the other one is John Travolta, and he has, like, a mullet wig on. <laughs> Kinda. Yep. 
sort of. And they're just driving. They're dressed like a couple of ascetic diamond merchants. Yes, yeah. I stole that directly from from the fucking Blues Brothers. Come at me if you want. <laughs> it fits. It fits. They're both wearing black suits with black ties. Yeah, so they're just Maybe normal they're guys. Maybe they're insurance, insurance salesmen or something. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. But they're not, are they? No, because after we cut from them in the car, we cut to a, a point of view shot from inside a trunk. And they open the trunk, and they start pulling out guns. Which is the same shot he used in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, Jules says, you know, we really should have shotguns for this. And Vincent says, well, how many are up there? And, you know, they, yeah. well, there might be as many as five guys. We should definitely have shotguns. And then they close yeah. the lid. So it's like, oh, so they're not insurance salesmen at all then. Maybe they're cops. Maybe, Maybe they're, they're cops. cops. But would cops be talking about how great it is to go to a European country where cops aren't allowed to search you? <laughs> Maybe. Cops can be, you know, cop. Well, okay. Maybe. And, and then they gossip a little bit on their way up to go kill people. Right. And they're gossiping about this one guy who touched the boss's face. Feet, and the boss pushed him out a window and he fell in through a greenhouse and fucked up the way he talks, right? Right. And, and then they have a, a stirring conversation about whether or not massaging someone's feet is can be considered a sexual act, right? Exactly. Yes, they and do. And what is your opinion on this, Steve? Oh, I think it definitely can be, yeah. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally take Vince's side in this discussion. <laughs> so do I. Anyway, they they think they, they then we find out Vince is going to Vince the boss. They have a boss named Marcellus Wallace and the boss told him, "Hey, will you keep my wife company while I'm off in Florida?" and and Jules is like, "You're dead." <laughs> <laughs> have fun with that, buddy. <laughs> he, he doesn't say that exactly. No. But um No, but he said he just says, "Have you ever met Mia?" and that kind of sets it up. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go and they knock on the door. First they get there early and they back off because they need to get in character. Yeah. And then they go back when they're done with their little conversation and these college kids let them in, right? Yeah. And one's kicking it on the couch and one's sitting at a little card table eating hamburger <laughs> and another guy quietly drifts into a corner and that's Marvin. Yeah. And eventually what happens is they're all dead. They die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, and also, and also we, we see that, that Jules and Vincent are here to retrieve a magic briefcase. Yeah, they're here to get the MacGuffin. Yeah, the MacGuffin briefcase, exactly. Which Quentin Tarantino has said has nothing been nothing but a MacGuffin. Yeah. There is nothing in the briefcase. It's not meant Stop to be speculating anything. speculating yeah. it. Yeah, it's not meant it to be anything. It doesn't have Marcellus Wallace's soul inside of it. No. It doesn't. It's just a thing. Right. Okay? Right, exactly. Shut up already. And I, I, I think putting the light bulb in it so that it, it glows on their faces was a last-minute decision. Like, they weren't even planning to do that until relatively it's late. It's in the script. Yeah. It's is in it? the script. Oh, is it really? Yeah. The last-minute decision was making the combination on that suitcase okay. 666. There you go. So anyway, um, basically what happens is Jules has a little fun with the guys. Once they get <laughs> once they get the briefcase, they try to talk their way out of it. Jules ain't going to have any of that shit. They're, the dialogue here, guys, if you're a fan of movies, you know this dialogue. Yeah, you could recite it from memory. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it ends with him shooting Brett. Yeah. Poor Brett. Bye, Brett. Bye, Brett. Bye, Brett. Bye, Fox Seagulls. <laughs> But then we cut to something else, Steve. Yeah, well, we get a title card that it was a title card. Sorry. It informs us that we are about to view Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. 
on the worst date in recorded history. <laughs> it's not a date. It's definitely it's not a, a date. It's a date. This is a love story, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> a modern love story. Right. Yes. So we meet Vincent, and what is Vincent doing? I bet he's doing something wholesome and fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's at his. Well, do we do we get do we see Vincent first, or do we see uh, uh, Marcellus? We don't see Marcellus at all. Well, but I mean, well, we see the back of Marcellus's head. Oh, that's right. Yeah. After they shoot the guys, they go back to a bar and they're wearing weird clothes. Yeah, yeah. They're wearing t-shirts and shorts and they're like, you don't yeah. even want to know what just happened. Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, can we go talk to Marcellus? And they're like, nope, because um, there's a voice inside of Bruce Willis's head. Or at least we think that at first. <sighs> Because we just have Bruce Willis staring at the camera while Ving Rains talks at him about how he's washed up. Yeah. And he's going to need to take a fall because he's a boxer. Yeah. And you're going to do it. You're going to do what I say. <laughs> and what does Bruce Willis say? He, he says, says, I got no problem with that, Mr. Wallace. And he takes money from him. Yeah. Oh. And then we get the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where uh, Bruce Willis goes up to the bar and yeah. Vincent is there. And he, he wants a pack of what? A pack of red apples pack of red apples the fake cigarettes that Quentin Tarantino made up for his films because he doesn't want to promote tobacco that's right fuck you R.J. Reynolds <laughs> <laughs> and we get this really interesting exchange between Vincent and Butch where Vincent's kind of eyeballing him and Butch says yeah. you looking at something friend and Vince I says ain't looking at anything Palooka yeah, Palooka because <laughs> we're guys from the 30s mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. No, he says, you ain't my friend, Palooka. You ain't my friend, Palooka. And then he's, he's like, I didn't hear you. He says, I think you heard me just fine, punchy. Yeah. Like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Well, Jesus. Sorry. Well, I bet nothing happens. I hope they don't meet up again. Bad things could happen. They could get in a fight. Steve, someone's feelings could get That's hurt. That's true. But, you know, if that does happen, at least we got this lovely setup for that. Oh, yeah, huh? I hope not. I hope yeah. everyone gets along in this movie. It'd be great. Anyway, Me too. so then we got to the drug dealer. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Vince goes to That's his right. drug dealer's house, Lance. Uh huh. Yeah. And he needs drugs because he's sick or something, right, Steve? Um. He's sick and he's got. He needs some medicine from the man, and the medicine man says, "Here, I got all this stuff, and this is the good stuff, and not the bad yep. stuff. And people don't do cocaine anymore because it's dead. But here's the good stuff. You want this, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And it's medicine. And he, he buys the medicine from the man, and he's like. Like, thanks, can I take some medicine here? <laughs> and Lance is like, sure, man. That's right. And he goes in and he's got to stick a needle in his arm to make the medicine go in. Maybe it's diabetes medicine. Maybe it is because he feels real good after. He sure does. He also meets his girlfriend who's got piercings all over her body. <laughs> the one with all the shit in her face. <laughs> It's one of my favorite lines in that whole goddamn movie. <laughs> Which one's Trudy? The one with all the shit in her face? No, that's my wife. <sighs> anyway, he seemed like he seemed like a nice redheaded Jesus man who's got medicine for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's pretty much exactly like Jesus. And then he feels so good that he's driving his car to go go pick up Mia, right? Yeah. And he walks up to the house and he rings the doorbell and we only see her feet. Right. Oh, Steve, why do we only see her feet? Well, they were just talking about how she got a foot massage, see? Oh, yeah, the feet so, connected to the foot massage. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like somebody put some thought into these shots or something. And wanted like him to mean is something. Like a natural born fucking auteur, and people should shut up about him. <laughs> and even when you don't notice it, <laughs> like it, he's constantly thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Quentin Tiro is the end result of 80 years of prior filmmaking that someone would come along like him eventually. <laughs> 
who makes other directors feel scared, like they have tiny dicks and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Maybe. I'm approaching the rest of this movie like I, I have no idea what's going on, Steve, like an innocent. Okay. I'm just going to assume good intentions from everybody, <laughs> okay? That's the best way to approach it, because it is such a, a, a wholesome, feel-good movie. <laughs> yeah, so then they go back in time for their date. <laughs> yes, they go to Jack Rabbit Slim's. Yeah, and then she says, what are you square? And then she draws a rectangle in the air. Yeah, what are you, a rectangle? <laughs> what? What the fuck does that mean? Steve, describe Jackrabbit Slims for everybody. It's like a 50s diner on steroids. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, it's like, well, he says it's like a wax museum with a pulse. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah it it's is. basically, it's like a 50s diner, but it's huge. It has yeah. a stage where where uh, impersonators of 1950s celebrities perform. All the right. wait staff are dressed up as 50s celebrities. Right. And the booths are made out of classic car chassis. So, uh-huh. yeah. Totally something you can see existing in L.A. Definitely. Anyway, so they've got uh, Buddy Holly's their waiter. <laughs> yes. It's so nice of Buddy Holly to come back to life for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> or for Steve Buscemi to come in and act disinterested. It's one of the funniest little moments in the movie because he makes no attempt to portray Buddy Holly at all, except for his <laughs> appearance. He just shows up and goes, There's more character Buddy. in his four lines of dialogue. <laughs> you know everything you need to know about this poor man who's forced to dress up like <laughs> Buddy Holly and take orders from people. It's so funny. Anyway, they have a nice conversation. They get to know each other. Yeah, they do. It turns out that she was in a pilot once. That yeah. sounds awful. <laughs> and we don't really learn anything about Vincent Vega, except he says, hey, I want to talk to you about the guy who got thrown out a window. And she said, he never touched my feet, and you guys are gossiping. Yeah, right? yeah. he never touched anything in me except my hand when he shook it at my wedding. Mm-hmm. So and fuck off. And this is illustrative of the fact that maybe not everyone is... Maybe we shouldn't have taken that story at face value. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, she says nobody knows why Tony got thrown out of that window except Marcellus and Tony. So, you know, That's right. We think we know things to, that we don't know. And then she needs to go get up and powder her nose. And what she means is she has to take this special medicine that's a powder <laughs> yeah. and put it up her nose yeah. so that she can feel good. It's a magic wake-up powder. no one likes being powder. sick, Steve. Yeah. No one likes that. It makes you f- I've, I've never used that particular medicine, but I'm led to believe it makes you feel really good for a little while. I guess so, because she snores a lot of it in the bathroom. Yeah, and then she swears. Yeah, she says a bad word. She she takes our Lord's name in vain. A couple of times. Yeah, it's not it's not good. Or maybe she's thanking him. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, she comes back and their food's there, and then they talk about a five dollar milkshake. Hey guys, I'm in the, from the future. All milkshakes are five dollars now. <laughs> oh, Vince, it's a good thing he didn't make it to our modern era. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, never mind. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> then they talk about other stuff briefly. Yeah. They eat. And then they have a dance contest, and they win. Yay. Because, of course, John Travolta's going to win the dance contest. He doesn't dance all that great. (laughs) Well, he did. I mean, okay. I guess, what, are you Fred Astaire or something? He dances better than I could He dances like someone who's high off his ass on his medicine. But he gets up on the the tiptoes and throws in all the other dance moves. He's not just twisting. He's doing the Batman and the mashed potato. I mean, come on. He dances the shit out of this thing. So they come back. They come back on from their not date, and yeah. they, he lets her in the house, and then she says, um, hey, let's listen to some music, and he's like, okay, and he's like, but I gotta go to the bathroom, and she's like, okay, you go to the bathroom, right? Yeah. And then he goes in the bathroom and has a nice pep talk with himself. <laughs> yes, he does. 
about exactly what he's going to do for the rest of the night, which is not sleep with his boss's wife yep. and then get killed. You're he's right. going to go home and jerk off like a normal person. Exactly, and that's all you're going to do. <laughs> Meanwhile, she found his his medicine in his pocket. Yeah, but she doesn't know. That's not that's that's needle medicine. That's not supposed to be nose medicine. <laughs> that's needle medicine, not nose medicine. <laughs> but she puts it in her nose, and it, she did not read the label on the outside telling you how you take that medicine. Needle medicine. Do not take and through so nose. She snorts enough to kill a lot of people who <laughs> like that medicine. Like Scarface is over there, like, whoa, what are you doing? Not that much. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Are you fucking crazy, man? <laughs> Get out. You're not in this. He comes out of the bathroom and he's going to say, well, I got to go good night. But she's had a case of the barfies and she's like uh, foaming at the mouth and on the floor. Yeah, she's in a bad way. So he's going to take her to the doctor. Well, he's going he's to take her to red-headed Jesus is what he's going to well, do. Well, to the red-headed Jesus doctor that gave him the medicine earlier. The great physician. <laughs> Oh, if anyone can pick this up on the microphone, um, I'm fairly certain that a small ocean has opened up over my house. So uh, that's rain. Oh, I can, I can. Case. Oh, I can hear it. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so he drives over to the doctor's house, <sighs> and he's like, "You better fix her because her husband's gonna find out, and if if he finds out, he's gonna have bad words to say about you and me, yeah. right? We're all gonna get in big trouble. That's right. And so he gets a big needle." <laughs> And uses it wrong. <laughs> out of, he gets a needle out of his refrigerator. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's filled with what? Uh, adrenaline. Uh, adrenaline. Yeah. And the long needle is for, you put it up and under the ribs. Up and under. Oh, really? So you're you're not go, supposed to stab someone with it like a harpoon? You're not supposed to stab someone three times. <laughs> <laughs> and the, so they stab her in the heart with it and she wakes up, right? Yeah, and everything's fine. Everything's perfectly fine. They just take the needle out, everything's good. And then he, he takes her home. And she tells him a joke that's bad because he wanted her, she was on the TV show, she was going to get a joke at the end of every show. Right. And he wanted to hear the joke and she wasn't going to tell him. But now she's going to tell him because they've been through all this shit, right? Yeah. And then she goes into her house and he blows her a kiss. Yeah. It's sweet. Yeah, fade to black, end of that story. It's, it the is end. sweet. Yeah. Why can't we have that whole be a whole movie as I a romantic know. comedy? Why I, why is that? Why is that not a thing? Because that's not the world we live in. Uh, anyway, what do we go to next? Next we go to a little kid watching Clutch Cargo. <laughs> For some reason. Oh boy, guys. I'm so glad you most of our audience has never seen Clutch Cargo. <laughs> yeah. Not only is it racist, it's awful. <laughs> it's just bad in every conceivable way. It's where they superimpose human mouth, mouths over drawings. Like, what if we made a cartoon, but, and hear me out on this, we didn't animate it at all? <laughs> anyway, why are we watching Clutch Cargo? That was off the air a million, jillion years ago. Well, because we're we're back in the past. We're oh, and what we what what it turns out that the little kid who is watching it, we hear. Uh, his his mom call him Butch, and we figure out that this is actually Bruce Willis's character as a little kid. We do? Yeah, she says Butch. I thought he was talking to me. Oh, no. He, came, he sat down and he told me that he served in the war with my dad. He's talking to little Butch. And my Butch. dad didn't serve in Vietnam. And I'm fairly sure my dad didn't die in Vietnam either. <laughs> but he said my dad did. He died of dysentery. You're fairly oh, yeah. certain? The dad had a watch up his butt. Yeah. Here's that watch. This is yours now. The butt watch. Take the butt watch, kid. Take the butt watch. (laughs) 
There is no discernible difference between your John Travolta and your Christopher Walken. My Walken and my Travolta. (laughs) Hey, come on. Take the butt watch. (laughs) But that wasn't supposed to... I'm I'm Butch? Am I Butch? You're Butch. Because he says it right into the camera. You're Butch. Okay, I'm Butch now. You're Butch. I'm Butch. I'm not going to throw that fight. That'd be stupid. (laughs) I'm going to double cross those killer gangsters. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care how cute and childlike my girlfriend is. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, so what happens? Well, okay, so uh, we little Butch gets told by Christopher Walken that this watch belonged to his great grandfather and his grandfather and his father, and and now he's giving it to him. So the watch is like super important. Okay, that's the most important thing we get from the watch is the most. Yeah. That's right. The watch is like okay. super, super important. And then adult Bruce Willis Butch wakes up right before the fight that he's supposed to throw, except he doesn't throw the fight. He wins the fight. Not only does he win the fight, he kills the other guy. Oh, my gosh. So he super wins the fight. Oh, and he's so embarrassed about winning that he he crawls out the window and <laughs> goes into a cab. Yeah, exactly. He, he doesn't like getting all the acclaim for, for punching the other guy until he stopped breathing, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and then he gets in the cab, and there's a lady there. Yeah, a weird lady with a death fixation. Her name is Esmeralda Villalobos. Yeah. And they have a nice little conversation about his motivations and what he did and why he did it, kind of, right? Yeah. And she tells him, I'm a, I'm a creepy vampire lady, and I'm, I like death. <laughs> I the, want to know what it's like to kill a to man. kill a man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you're going to find out for yourself real soon. Unless I'm, unless I'm reading you totally wrong. The next person that gets in this cab is a dead man. Yeah, you're going to know what it's like firsthand before too long. And you know what's really super funny about that cab? What? Did you notice how old that cab is? It does look kind of old for an L.A. cab in the 90s, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. But he's, he's lifting tropes from classic movies. Yeah, totally. Well, you know I, they're not actually on the road. Right, you that, know they're not actually driving yeah, anywhere. That obviously fake rear projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Anyway, he goes He goes to a motel, and his daughter's there. <laughs> oh, oh, you might think that. And she's super young, and she acts like a little kid. Yeah, but that's actually his girlfriend. No, they're yeah. just a dad and, and a kid, and they're super close. No, they have sex. And they, sex. like, kiss and hug. Stop, no, they but have they sex don't with even. each other. They do not. There's no way he's having sex with that little girl. That's wrong. Well, that it is what it is. Who's that? Who is that? That's that's, that's Fabian. That's Fabian, his girlfriend, I guess. Yeah. And she's like, "We're in a lot of trouble." And he's like, "Yep." Because remember, remember, Marcellus Wallace told him to throw the fight, and he didn't do it. Right. Exactly. And not only did he not throw the fight, he 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 bet a lot of money on himself to win the fight. And so he made, like, a fortune by making Marcellus Wallace look like a sucker. That's right. Yeah. Now they've got to flee. Yeah. Which they're going to do in the morning, right? Yeah. After they have sex that we don't see, right? Right, exactly. Because they're, they're father and daughter. They're not, it's not possible. Anyway. <laughs> it's a sick world, my friend. Anyway, is that when we cut to the seed where... Marcellus Wallace, who we've only seen from the back of the head, walks through, and yeah. he's like, feed his trainer to the dogs and find out what he knows, right? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And Vince is there, yeah, and, and and Mia's there, and she's like, I didn't get a chance to thank you for last night, and he's like, don't bring it up! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> 
And then we cut to the next morning, and they're getting ready to go. Fabian brushes her teeth like twice. She like brushes her teeth once, and then she brushes it again. <laughs> well, it's actually it's a really funny transition because she's brushing her teeth at night when he falls asleep, and then they cut to the next morning when he's waking up, and it's the morning, and she's brushing her teeth in the morning. She's been brushing her teeth all <laughs> it's night. It's like she's been brushing her teeth all night. It's really. I'd brush my teeth all night if I had kissed my dad. Ah, uh, yeah, it's gross. Their relationship is wrong and gross. I really hope people have watched this movie before I started doing this to this. I don't care. I don't care how cute they are together. Their relationship is wrong. Anyway, they're anyway. going to have a fun morning eating pancakes. Yeah, she can't wait to have blueberry pancakes and sausages and, and a piece of pie. She's so quirky. Yeah. She, I would say that she's a manic pixie dream girl, except she's not really. No. She's more like a... Developmentally delayed child. (laughs) If the manic pixie dream girl, if the manic pixie dream girl were trapped in a motel room for the whole movie. (laughs) Anyways, like, did you get all the stuff? And she's like, "Yep." And then he's like, "Where's my watch? Where's my dad's butt watch?" Oh, I. It's in there. I definitely got it. Did she? No, she did not. And then he gets really, really angry. Yes, he does. And he starts yelling at her and throwing stuff around. And then he does something that I never really expect to see guys do, and that is realize that what he's doing is wrong (laughs) and stop himself in mid-rage. Reel himself back in. Yeah. He's still angry. She knows he's still angry, but he has put a lid on his anger. He's he's exercising what what's it called? Self-control. Restraint. <laughs> yes, restraint. <laughs> so weird. So here's the problem with that. He knows that Marcellus Wallace's men are going to be looking for him because they want to talk to him about that fight that he won. Yeah, they want to just have right? a, a little conversation with him about that. He doesn't want to talk to them. No, it would be super awkward. Yeah, So he, but now he's got to go back to their apartment to get the watch. Yeah. Because it's on a ceramic kangaroo and she forgot to get it. And now that's why he's all upset. Yeah. So he gets into his car and he yells at his car. <laughs> or he does something that all of us have done who have been in relationships with anybody. And that is leave and yell at no one in your car. <laughs> I've done it. Steve's done it. We've all done it. All Everybody's fucking done she it. Fucking forget. She forgets my father's watch. <laughs> <sighs> the most honest scene in the film. So he goes He goes back to his apartment. Yeah. And he's hungry because now he has to miss breakfast because he has to go get his watch, right? Yeah, exactly. So he puts a, a couple of Eggos in the, in the toaster and then what happens? Oh, hey, would you look at that? There's an Uzi on the counter. With a silencer on it. I didn't, I don't remember putting that there, he I thinks. I could have sworn I told Fabian to bring this if I knew we had it. <laughs> Why? She forgot the Uzi too? What the hell? And he's standing there holding it and then what? He uh, well, something. the toilet flushes in his bathroom, and he's like, That's "Oh, right. somebody's here." Yeah, I hope he, I hope he likes Legos. He's <laughs> making Legos for breakfast. I have nothing else to offer him. I hope he loves those crunchy, delicious gold Legos. <laughs> Better let go my Legos. Well, wait a minute. What if he wants my Legos? He might want my Legos. I can't let him have my Legos. And the door opens, and who is it? Oh, it's Vince. And Vince stands there, and he's got a, a book. And he looks at him, and then Butch looks at him, and he says, Lego my egos, and he shoots him. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happens. Soon as the egos are ready, he's like, nope, these are mine. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. And he shoots him a lot. Yep. And those happy bullets go in him and make Vince feel so good that he wants to take a nap. 
<laughs> and he takes a nap right there in the bathtub. That's right. He says, I'm giving you the gift of seeing your own blood. There you go. Sleep with your eyes open, buddy. It's great. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Wait a minute, Steve. How is that? Why? Huh? He th- now he's dead? Yeah. Yeah. Vince is oh. dead now. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel bad. Well, we probably won't see him anymore for the rest of the movie either. So Maybe someone will give him some of his medicine and he'll come back to life. <laughs> Maybe. Yay. Maybe. He leaves. Yep. Doesn't even eat his ego, no, does he? He's kind of in a hurry now at this point, I guess. I guess. Shooting, having to shoot Vince put him a little behind schedule. should have schedule. thrown the egos on top of Vince so that when he wakes up from those <laughs> magic bullets, he can have something to eat. Left him a little note. In case yeah. you're hungry. Just rub some of it in that strawberry syrup that's on his body and he'll be good. He'll be good. <laughs> mm, boy. I'm reviewing yeah. all movies like this. The clueless Jason who doesn't really know what's going on. Misinterpreting one of the most violent movies ever made. Jason as a naive 10-year-old movie critic. <sighs> so then he gets back in his car and he's got his watch and everything's good, right? Oh, he's in a great mood. He's singing along to the Statler yeah. brothers. He's having a then, great time. And then he sees a friend on the street. Yeah, wow, what a coincidence. It's Marcellus. Is it? Yeah. And Marcellus brought donuts. Yeah, good for him. Marcellus <laughs> is so thoughtful. And Bruce Willis gets so excited that he steps on the gas and he's like, give me my donut. I love donuts. <laughs> Yeah, and then he gives Marcellus a ride on top of his car for a little bit, <laughs> and then he unconventionally parks on the side of the road. Yes, that's right. He finds a nice place to stop the car. Yeah, and yep. he's trying to get out of the car, and Marcellus is on the ground, and a whole bunch of people are around him. Right? Yeah, and then he pulls out a gun. And Kathy Griffin is there, too, for some reason. And Kathy Griffin does the best response to that, where everybody else, like, kind of screams and runs. Kathy Griffin just fucking turns right around and walks away. Doesn't scream. Just as soon as she sees the gun, she just turns and leaves. (laughs) He shoots a lady in the leg. Yeah. Because he's shooting his bullets at Butch now. (laughs) Yeah. Who's also running away. Yeah. And so Butch runs away and he goes into a shop and the shopkeeper's like, I'll help you or something, right? That's what happened. He goes in and then him and Marcellus get in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy doesn't like fighting. Nope. So he pulls out a shotgun. Yeah. And he knocks him out. And then calls the police. Nah, not not exactly. Well, first he needs to make sure they're safe. So he yeah. takes him down in, <laughs> yes. in into his fun room, and he and he ties them up, and he puts big lollipops in their mouths to keep them quiet. Yeah, exactly. And, and special harnesses to keep the lollipops in their mouths so that they have something sweet in their mouths, right, Steve? Exactly. And so they don't accidentally swallow it and choke. That's right. So they yeah. got those. Yeah. And they're, they're safe now, and so now he's going to call the police. So, right. not really, though. Who does he call? Well, he calls Zed. Oh, his best friend Zed. Yeah, yeah. And Zed's going to help him. Well, he, yeah, Zed is going to help him, yeah. Well, Zed, Zed gets there, and he's got... Yeah. He shows up. You hear a motorcycle pull up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, he comes down, and he's like, you know who would like this, too? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know who... Mom? Call Mom. Tell Mom what you're doing, please. <laughs> Tell someone what you're doing, please. Please tell someone. Reach who out. They, who do they get, Steve? They get their friend, the Gimp, who lives oh. in a who lives in a chest. 
He just lives in a little chest. He likes it. It's his sure. magic. You know what? That's a portal to another dimension where everything's covered in zippered leather, and he just runs around. <laughs> he and just likes like, it. Yeah. The princess there, and he's like Mario. It's like a, it's like a warp tube or whatever they call him, and that's what happens. He Probably. just comes out and he says hi to everybody, right? Well, he doesn't really talk. Okay, he just waves? <laughs> yeah, he just kind of waves, and he's on a leash. Okay, and yeah. then they play a fun game, and the fun game is in Eeny Meeny, yep. Miney Mo with the original words in it. <laughs> yes, the ori- as written by Agatha Christie. Which not very many... <laughs> no, stop it! <laughs> Which not very many people know the original words to Eeny Meeny Miney Mo, and it wasn't always a tiger... That doesn't. Oh, no, no. I, our our history is saturated with so much racism. Bad. It's just all the way down to the bone. You but can't they get away pick from it. Somebody to play with, right? Right, and they pick Marcellus. Oh, and lucky so they, him. So they take uh, they take Butch out, right? Well, they yeah they take Marcellus into another room. They leave yeah. Butch there. Yeah, they leave Butch there with the Gimp, and they're gonna talk. Sure, sure. They're gonna make friends. But what happens instead? Well, Butch is able because he's a super strong boxer guy yeah. to to break his way out of the chair that he's tied to and get loose and okay. punch the Gimp on the Gimp unconscious. What? Yeah, he just knocks him right the fuck out. If he didn't want to play with the gimp, he should have just told him. He should have used his words. It was because the gimp was making noise, and he didn't want the gimp to bother Zed and Maynard, who were in the other room. Oh, when they were playing in the other room. Right, right. Because they're playing a fun game in the other room. Yeah. Okay. And so then he's going to leave, and then he thinks, no, I want to play too. And he's like, what can I bring to play with? And he's like, I could bring a... A A hammer? I could bring a, a hammer? No... A, a chainsaw? No, no. no. A base baseball bat? No. He no. sees something even better. What's better than a baseball bat? A samurai sword. Oh, and he's like, he comes downstairs to show him the samurai sword, right? Yeah, exactly. And he opens the door and... Yep. And what? They're they're playing. Boy, they're playing something, aren't they're, they? They're playing horsey. They're playing horsey. They're playing horsey. And and Marcellus Marcellus is the horsey. <laughs> well, first doesn't he? Yeah, he. Yeah. He kills. He kills some. He kills he, those guys. He kills Maynard. Yeah. He's like, hey, how much for the samurai sword? Uh huh. And then <laughs> and then what? Then well, what he's 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 holding the sword on Zed. He, Zed has moved away from Marcellus, and he's yeah. holding the sword on Zed. And before he can do anything to Zed with the sword, Marcellus gets up and grabs the shotgun and says, and says, "Step aside, Butch." <laughs> And then he shoots Zed in the dick with the shotgun. Oh, that's a yeah. weird funny game. That's a funny yeah. game. Yeah. And then he's going to invite more of his friends. To, to come play. Yeah. To come play medieval times with him. That's what he says. Yeah, that's that's good. And yep. then Butch is like, hey, are you angry because I messed up the game earlier? And he's like, no, we're good, right? Yeah, just leave town and don't come back. Yeah, new rules. You can't be anywhere in here. Goodbye, right? Yeah. And so he leaves. Yeah, he takes Zed's motorcycle. Excuse me, chopper. Thank you. And then he goes and he gets Fabian, his daughter. And yes. she's like, what happened? <laughs> And he's like, and he's, nothing. We need to leave now. <laughs> we need to leave right now. And she's like, okay. And then she asks, whose motorcycle is this? And what does he say? He says, Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> Zed's dead. 
and then they ride off together for more big life adventures. Yeah. Yay! They ride off into the sunset, and that's the chronological end of the movie. Is it? Yeah. yeah. I don't think it is. It must. I guess it is, huh? Yeah. It's the that chronologically. That's the last scene. Yeah. What do you mean chronologically? Oh well, you're gonna find. Well, you're gonna find out in a second. What are you talking about? Well, because then we fade up on a title. It says the Bonnie situation, and okay. then we hear something we've already heard. We hear Jules talking. Uh, to Brett from the scene at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, right, the happy bullet scene where he shoots yeah. Brett and he shoots everybody and they get their things back. Yeah, except this time we're not in the same room. We're in another room where another guy is hiding. Oh. And he's listening to this happen and he seems pretty worried. What happens? Uh, he, he jumps out of the room. Well, he, first he hears the gunshots. Are you sure see. it's not Jerry Seinfeld? It might be Jerry Seinfeld. It looks a lot like Jerry Seinfeld. What is the deal with you murdering all my friends? <laughs> You want the case? It's right there. Take the case. And he jumps out and he's like, bang, 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 bang. Yeah, and he don't hit shit. And then they they go bang, 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 back at him. And, and he the, falls down like you're supposed to when you play guns. Yeah, exactly. So they, they only won because they weren't playing fair. Yeah. And the only one that that is not dead is Marvin. He won. Right. Because he, he was smart enough to get the fuck back in that corner. That's right. And so then they all, he's like, what happened? Jules is like, what happened? What happened? Well, yeah, because they should have been hit by those bullets, but somehow they they got out unscathed. And Jules is like, you know what this was? This was a miracle. God right. kept us from being hit by these bullets. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, and sure. screwing with them a little bit. <laughs> screwing with them. He's like, oh, just wait. <laughs> and they want to have an argument right there. Jules is like, no, I want everybody to talk about this. And he's like, we need to leave before the cops get here. Yeah. And so they all leave. They take yeah. the case and they grab Marvin and they get in the car. And they're still talking about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Because Vince doesn't think that it was a miracle. Jules is like, it was a miracle, and Vince is like, it "Look, a, it's it was a freak occurrence." Yeah, these things just happen. And then they, and then he turns around and he says, "Hey, Marvin, what do you think about it?" And Marvin thinks so hard that his head explodes. <laughs> yep, that's what happens. <laughs> they shouldn't have asked Marvin to think about it because his oh, head exploded. Poor Some Marvin. Some people aren't good at philosophical discussion, and they should have known that. <laughs> But yeah. what might have probably happened is they went over a bump or something because that's Vince what Vince still had says. His gun in his hand, <laughs> and it went off and shot Marvin in the face, and his head exploded all over. Yeah, and now like, they're in kind of an awkward situation because they need to get the car off the road because, as Jules points out, cops tend to notice shit like you're driving a car drenched in fucking blood. <laughs> yeah. And so what's the plan, Steve? What's the plan? Well, Jules has a friend who lives nearby named Jimmy. Yeah. And they're they don't go have anybody house. out there. They don't have anybody in the valley. Right. It's, it, it's not it's not uh, Marcellus's place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they go see Jimmy and they have and they have coffee and it's great at the end. Yeah, pretty much. Now, a few more things happen. Oh, what happened? Well, Jimmy gets upset with them because they brought a dead body to his house and he knows that his wife would not be happy if she found a dead body in her house and his wife works overnight at the hospital and she's going to be home soon and jimmy's yeah. worried that his wife will divorce him if she yeah. finds out that there's She'll dead bodies out. in her house yeah she'll like have a major freak out yeah right so jules goes i'm gonna call marcellus yeah and tell him what the situation is and he's like marcellus guess what vincent <laughs> shot a guy shot marvin in the head and now we're gonna car it's covered with blood and we're, we're hiding at this guy's house we don't know what to do he doesn't say it quite like that it's more no. like what are you gonna do about it yeah how are you gonna fix this and Marcellus says, don't worry. I'm going to call the wolf. Yeah. Wolf will take care of it. Sort all that out, right? Yeah, and Jules feels better. Yay. He's and like, he's all like, right. That's all you had to say. 
And then the wolf comes. Well, he says the wolf will be, he he calls the wolf. Yeah, he calls the wolf. The wolf gets all the details and he tells him he'll be there in how how long? He says it's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we see a time little thing. <laughs> like, like 9 minutes and 37 seconds later. And a, and a sports car drives up. Yeah. And Harvey Keitel gets out. Harvey Keitel in a tuxedo uh-huh, has arrived. Unless you hadn't noticed, it's what time in the morning, Steve? It's like 7 o'clock in the morning. And what was he doing when Marcellus called him? <laughs> he was at a cocktail party. That's right, baby. <laughs> he was at a fancy breakfast. Probably a fundraiser or something for a children's hospital. Yeah, for the Wayne Manor. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Foundation was putting on a fundraiser and he was he there. Was at, he was at Tony Stark's mansion. <laughs> Anyway, he shows up and just straightens everybody out, right? Yep, he takes charge. Compliments Jimmy on his coffee. Yes, he does. Bribes Jimmy with new sheets and new bed and everything. (laughs) He's like, you're going to get all new everything. Yeah. Strips or jewels and and Vincent down to their underwear, everything, and they got to get sprayed down because they're covered with with fun juice from Marvin's (laughs) head. And, And... Yep. Using innocent terms is making this worse, isn't it? <laughs> it makes so, it seem more violent than it actually is, <laughs> in a weird way. So they got to spray all of his, you know, parts of Marvin out. Yeah, and exactly. They, get all, they spray him down, and we find out that they've both been to juvie, which means they're lifelong criminals. Yes. And then they got to put on nerd clothes. Yeah. Or dork clothes, because yeah. they look like dorks, even <laughs> though it's Jimmy's clothes. They're your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> and then they, uh, this is after they clean up the car and get it looking normal. And then he says, okay, you're going to follow me to this junk place. Right, right. right. And we're like, okay. And then they go to the junk place. And who's who's the junk lady? Well, it's uh, Julia Sweeney from Saturday yeah. Night Live. For some reason. Yeah. Well, ha- hi, familiar hi. person who weirdly shows up near the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah, and she's going to junk the car for him. Yeah. And they're like, we don't have a ride now. And he's like, well, I'm taking her to breakfast. I wanted to keep following him to breakfast with her. Yeah, I know, I wanted to know what they were going to talk about. You know, the lady that owns a junk place that's willing to smash up cars with bodies in them. (laughs) And and Harvey Keitel. But instead, what we do? Well, we go with Jules and Vincent. And they go to have breakfast at a kind of familiar looking... They're now wearing the same clothes that they were wearing when they went into the bar to talk to... Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, that makes sense now. You notice that. And, yeah, and they go to this very familiar looking diner. Time's all scrambled up. Yeah, it's like something that happened earlier is happening now. So they go to a diner. Yeah. And they... Jules has a bran muffin. I don't know what Vincent eats. Probably pancakes. garbage. Huh? Pan- pancakes and bacon. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's right, because they talk about the pig. Yeah. And they're having a conversation, and then they start talking philosophically, and Jules wants to change his job. Yeah, exactly. Because, because he, the, the whole bullet thing. Yeah, yeah. He wants to not be the... He'd walk away from the gangster life. That's right. Yeah. And so he, he's like, that's crazy. Oh, my God, go take a poo-poo. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, up to this point, let's 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 revisit this. Because if I was Vincent, I would have noticed this pattern by now. Okay? Well, because it's told out of order, but maybe I could have, like, a flash forward. Maybe what would happen in the future for him wouldn't happen. Right. Okay? So I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, 
uh, Mia Wallace had taken my medicine, and then I had to take her to get stabbed in the heart three times. Yeah. That's bad. So this time when I go to the bathroom, bad things are going to happen while I'm on the poo-poo. And then in the future, I'm going to go into the bathroom to have a poo-poo, and I'm going to get shot with happy bullets, and and my fun juice is going (laughs) to spread out all over the place. And then he's going to throw egg and waffles on me to eat. That's not good. No, just don't. Just stop going to the bathroom, Vince. The bathroom is a harbinger of doom for Vincent. Yeah, just don't go to the bathroom. But he goes anyway. Yeah, he goes. And then what happens? Well, after Vince goes to the bathroom, we cut to Pumpkin and Honey Bunny from the first scene. Wow. It's the same they coffee really shop. Like that. They really like that place. Oh, no. It's actually the exact same time because they're talking <gasps> the about the same. The movie's starting all over again? They're, they're, they get to make different choices and live happy endings? Sure. <laughs> Except not really. What happens? They rob the coffee shop, just like they oh. were said. Just like they said they were going to do. And then they get to Jules, and yeah. they're like, "What's in the briefcase?" And he's like, "None of your business." <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Give me the briefcase," and he's like, "No." But I'll show you my gun. And she's like, "Shoot him in the face," and he's like, uh, "And then yeah, he shows him the gun, and he makes and he makes pumpkin sit down." Yeah. And then because pumpkin looks inside the briefcase. Yeah, right, and gets distracted by the MacGuffin. And he's like, is that what I think it is? And he's like, yeah, it's an orange 30-watt light bulb. <laughs> it's a plot device, exactly. He, he says, I'm, I am I, don't... Oh, and then Vincent comes out and almost yeah. messes everything up. Yeah, as usual. And he yeah. tells Honey Bunny to point the gun at him and tells Vincent to cool, calm down, right? Yeah. It's like, don't get all excited. It's just shooting everybody. I believe his exact words are, Vince, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tells he tells Ringo or he's calling him Ringo. He calls him Ringo, yeah. He's like, "Listen, I'm I'm having a life crisis and I don't want to kill you, but I got to take this briefcase back cuz I've been boy, this has been a long morning. Anyway, <laughs> you can keep my wallet that says bad mother humper on it. What does it actually say, dude? It says bad motherfucker. That's right. Take that. Vincent does not like that at no, all. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He says he'll shoot him out of principle. <laughs> and he says, do you, do you have a pretty good take here? Just take all the stuff and you leave. And then he explains why. And he says, because um, I don't want to be bad, kind of. Basically, yeah. yeah. Kind of. And he lets them go and they hug each other and they leave. And then Vincent comes up and goes, maybe we should go too. <laughs> and he says, okay. And then they leave. Then... <laughs> That's the movie. Da, 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 da. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. What do you think of this classic drama? <laughs> <laughs> Something. Movie. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. What a great family comedy. <laughs> I... Vince just wanted to go on a date. Oh, my God. And the... Jules was looking to change jobs. <laughs> Um, I have probably seen this movie as many times as I've seen any movie. Uh-huh. I didn't even take notes. Yeah. I was I, I was going to say this at the beginning, everybody. I totally lost my notes for when I watched this movie twice. Um, but I've seen this movie so many goddamn times that I didn't yeah. need them. I was one of those people, <sighs> one of those stereotypical white ty- 90s teenagers 
who saw this movie so many times in the 90s that I, for a while there, I could literally quote every line of dialogue from beginning to end from memory. Yep. I can't, I don't think I can do it anymore. With certain scenes, I can do it, but I can't do it from beginning to end anymore. But for a while there, I could, because I just, I had watched it so many times. And it's one of those movies that's been with me for so long that I appreciate it now for different things than I appreciated when I first saw it. Yeah. Because I was 14 when I first saw it. And when I first watched it, I appreciated the things that a lot of people like about it. The fact that it's really funny. It's very clever. It's very very edgy and sort of out there and outrageous. Yeah. And all of those things are still there and they still work for me. But now I appreciate things like... I notice how Tarantino is able to to pull himself back and restrain himself when he needs to to serve his story because yep. he's he's rightly celebrated for having a great ear for dialogue and for being just a great visual stylist knowing exactly where to put the camera and when to move the camera just a fantastic director but some of the most memorable scenes in this movie are shot so simply like that dance contest scene with Vince and Mia, where for most of that, he's just pointing the camera at John Travolta and Uma Thurman and just letting us watch them dance. Like that's it. He completely gets out of the way and just says, all I need is to just show you this and it'll work. And yes, the dialogue is really funny and really hip and really memorable and quotable, but he's not just showing off his ability to write great conversations. And that's a point I think a lot of the people who tried to imitate him kind of lost. He wasn't just vamping and showing off and saying, like, look at the great lines I can write. Vincent Jules's conversation in the beginning of the film sets things up that are paid off later. It does narrative work. It does character work. You know, Tony Rocky Horror comes up again during Vince and Mia's not a date. We get the first indications that Jules is unhappy working for Marcellus in that conversation. It sets those things up. Um, The flashback to young Butch receiving his father's watch from Captain Coons is genuinely hilarious. It still makes me laugh every time I watch it. And it's a a setup for for what happens. He has a specific line in that monologue. That says, when two men go through exactly. what we went through, exactly. hopefully you'll never have to go through that. Exactly. It informs everything that Butch does after that point. If people wonder why Butch decides to go back for Marcellus, it's because of that scene. That's why that scene is in there. It explains why he does that. Yep. Um, and, and, and it's just hysterical in its own right. Uh, we share experiences with these characters and then we get to see them talking about their experiences and responding to them and trying yep. to figure out what they mean, which is something that doesn't happen a lot in movies. Jules's whole character arc in this is rooted in his dawning awareness that he's not that he's one of the bad guys and he doesn't want to be and yeah. and him grappling with the experience that we see him have where they get shot at and and then the bullets don't hit him. He yeah. thinks that it's a miracle. He thinks he should be dead, but yet somehow he is alive and that is what pushes him to walk away from the gangster life that he is evidently becoming more and more disillusioned with. Um, and, and that, if you want to get moralistic about it, you could say that's why he lives and that Vince dies because yeah. Jules, Jules survives and he doesn't survive because he is a righteous man, but because he realizes that he isn't one and he determines that he wants to change. And that's that little change is enough for him to escape the events of the movie with his life and Vince not. 
Um, mm-hmm. Even the nonlinear storytelling is done for a larger purpose. It's not just so Tarantino, again, can show off and give us a reason to go back and watch the movie multiple times. No, but there's a reason behind it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, and, and there, there, are, there are superficial pleasures to be, have, to be had because you can go back and watch it and see, oh, look, somebody walked by that we see later. You can see how it all fits together. And that's really fun. The opening shot of this, you hear Zed's motorcycle ride past yeah. the uh, ride past the diner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I think his it's, motorcycle has a distinctive sound. I think it's 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 the first sound that you hear in the movie. It is, um, and you don't realize the significance of it until later. Um, right. And that's yeah, it's fun to see how everything fits together. But also, Tarantino is telling us a crime story, like the stories that he saw in the films of the seventies, like the stories written in pulp magazines. But yep. he's also telling us that story, and he's telling us from the very beginning, from that opening title card, that this is a constructed story. He tells yep. us this is not real. This is a story. This is a movie. This is not how life really is. And uh-huh. because of that, we see the cool stuff like that we see in crime movies, the stuff that often gets glamorized, but we uh-huh. also get the dark side of it. We see that Vince is a likable, cool guy, but we also see that he's a drug addict who shuffles through the movie barely knowing what's going on around him some of the time. Right. And he ultimately dies doing the job that he mocked Jules for wanting to walk away from. Right. We, we see something presented as incredibly cool morph into something square and corny right before our eyes because we see the stern, unflappable Winston Wolf, the fixer, the guy who solves problems, suddenly yeah. start talking like a character from a vaudeville sketch <laughs> once once they dispose of Marvin's body and he's leaving to take Julius Sweeney to breakfast. He starts talking like this corny-ass comedy character. Well, of uh-huh. course, you are a character. It doesn't mean that you have character. And it's like, <laughs> what the fuck happened to this guy? Um, we that's see- also literally Quentin Tarantino Tarantino saying that to a character that he's writing in his script. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because she has no reason. Sh- there's nothing for her to do. She's just right. there. Yeah. Um, we see this this flagrantly manufactured happy ending. Yep. That that Tarantino, the filmmaker, admits that this is a manufactured ending. The final Which shot technically of the- takes place halfway between the events chronologically yeah. in the film. Yeah. The final shot of the film, Vince and Jules putting their guns in their waistbands and exiting the diner, triumphant. That that is tinged with tragedy because we know Vince dies, but it's also yeah. it's Tarantino showing us that the lives of people like this, particularly Vince, because we actually see his unhappy ending, they they don't have happy endings. No. Movie, movies like this that show these characters having happy endings are not telling you the truth. To give Vince a happy ending, Tarantino has to pick up a scene from the middle of the narrative and drop it at the end. Yeah. Because we know what happens after the happy ending, and it's not happy for Vince. So, yeah, there's so much about this movie to appreciate. There's so much that I appreciate as as a grown-up that I didn't notice when I was uh, a teenager watching it. It's a great film. It's mm-hmm. a landmark film, um, and it still holds up today. It's it's always yeah. It's been one of my favorite films since the first time I saw it, so highest recommendation for me. I love this movie. Okay, I love the movie too. And uh, let's go into the a little bits about the script. So um, the premise is that it's kind of based on pulp, right? Yeah. But in those pulp stories, the plot would revolve around the crimes and what the, those crimes entail, right? So let's take Jules and um, Vincent, right? Right. What would have been the um, big scene in that in their story, if you took it separately, would be when they shot um, the kids to get the suitcase, right? That would be the big crime scene in the in the film, right? Right. What he does is he changes it. That's not the big thing in the story. The big thing in the 
story is Jules having this sudden realization about his life after someone shoots at him five times and misses every single time. Right. That is the key point in that storyline. Not them shooting the kids for the briefcase, not Marvin getting his head blown off. (laughs) (laughs) It is Jules' realization that what he's doing is not something that, number one, makes him happy. Yeah. And number two, now he thinks God's fucking with him, right? Right. He honestly believes that God is like... Are you sure you want to be doing what you're doing? Jules admits that he's not a good person. He says it in his end monologue with yeah. uh, with Pumpkin that he recognizes that he's the tyranny of evil men, right? Yeah, and that's absolutely. his big thing. He wants to. I think he's honest. I think he wants to walk the earth like Cain from Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Vince's big story arc. If that had been just a pulp story, then it would have involved more crime elements, right? It would have involved something something bigger. But instead, it's it's kind of played like a comedy, right? A romantic comedy. Except in this case, the romantic comedy climax is her accidentally overdosing on his on his heroin yeah. and him saving her life. And then not getting a girl in the end because he's staying true to his boss or whatever else. Butch's thing would have been something that was fight-related, right? But instead, it's the two of them stumbling into the hillbilly sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> So he takes the common tropes and subverts them, right? There's yeah. a lot of violence in there. There's a lot of shocking violence in here. Some critics really hated it because of the violence, but there's always going to be critics that hate the violence. And I think one of the reasons why they hated the violence so much was because they liked everything else. <laughs> They're like, oh, I like the dialogue. I like the way this goes. I like the way these characters talk to each other. I like the character development of all of these characters. And then you get to the severe things that happen. And let's face it, that, that's every movie. If you watch a movie where something severe doesn't happen to a character, then why are you watching the movie? You, no one watches a movie to watch a, someone get up in the morning, make toast, and then read the paper for two hours. <laughs> you know, it's it's literally, this is what's going to, these are the kinds of lives they're leading, so this is what's going to happen. There's a lot of intentional comedy, like with Jimmy and... Um, but for the most part, what he does is he takes all these characters, he makes them all one cohesive storyline, right? They're all kind of mixed up. He does some unconventional cutting as far as where the stories go. You're literally right. He has to take something from the middle and put it at the end so that we can leave it a good place. That is something that a storyteller does. Mm-hmm. Because if we had told this in sequence, it would have ended with them riding off on the motorcycle, right? Yeah. And the conclusion to Vincent would have been him dying, and then Jules would have been in the, you know, this would have been, wouldn't have gotten Honey Bunny and What's-Her-Face until the middle of the movie. And then they would have just suddenly appeared as characters. (laughs) But when we get them back at the end, because they literally bookend this story, we remember, oh, yeah, those those guys. We know a lot about them now. And we don't necessarily hate them. Right. (laughs) So now we don't know who to vote root for at this point, because we don't necessarily hate... Honey Bunny and and uh, and Pumpkin, and we don't want anything to happen to Jules, technically, even though all of them are bad people. Everybody <laughs> is a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> but you're conflicted as to what's going to happen at the end. Who's going to get shot if someone's going to get shot, right? And the other thing is, is then he makes them people. As extreme, yeah. as characterized, as everything else, these are people, right? They're reacting as these people would. They're not, they're not hyper badasses, right? That's proven over and over again. A lot of them are escaping by luck with Bruce Willis and the other one, you know, he shows up, he shows up with a sword and just slices them down <laughs> because they weren't expecting it. There's no, no one here is like, oh, that guy's, oh, that guy's back. We, we get a lot of lead into how Marcellus is a threat, right? And then when we finally get to see his face, the first thing we do is we hit him with a car. <laughs> 
which immediately takes away some of his some of the stuff that's been building up to that point. Yeah, you know, Vince, I'm sure, is a cold blooded killer, but he's liable to make mistakes just like everyone else, and we see what happens. He dumbly puts his gun down on the kitchen counter to go take a dump, <laughs> and that gets him killed. Yeah, probably because he didn't think Butch would be dumb enough to come back to the apartment, so he just went ahead and gone take up a dump, and then Butch came back and shot him. Oh no. So why, you know, this movie is, a lot of people have called it Tarantino's masterpiece. I think it's definitely his most well-known movie. Um, he's made a lot of really good movies. That's just it. He's made <laughs> yeah. a lot of really good movies. I like Jackie Brown a lot. Oh, it's In a fact, great movie. I might like it a little bit more than this movie because it's more linear. Yeah. Um, and less violent, surprisingly, but I still like, <laughs> I still like both of those movies. That was his Elmore Leonard thing. Yeah. So... What is the impact of this film? Well, no one had made a movie quite like this. They knew he was coming. He had been writing scripts. They tried to turn his script True Romance into something, and they gave it to Tony Scott. And boy, you can tell what a difference a director makes. Oh, man. Can you imagine if Tarantino had directed True Romance? I know, exactly. It would have been longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Hollywood, Hollywood knew that this guy was, was on, was, you know, he was on to something and he is, he's a lot of people say, well, he lifts from movies. He does. He does it a lot. He, he makes it well known that he is nothing if not for his influences, but the difference is, is he knows how to take those influences, utilize them to the best, uh, best of his abilities. Right. And you're right. Some of his framing isn't terribly inspired. You know, he has, he does a lot of long cuts with, with deep focus, you know, yeah. on some shots, other shots. They're very painterly and a little bit abstract. Um, he's not showing off. You're right. He yeah. isn't. He's not showing off. Um, he has slow-mo in there, but it wasn't shot with a slow-motion camera on purpose. He doesn't do anything by accident. He does things because he wants to do them. You don't hear a whole lot of stuff like, oh, well, we just made that up on the spot. Right. I read his script, and he doesn't do a whole lot of things on the spot. <laughs> And so he, this is the other one of the reasons why it's really popular. While he has inspired a lot of people who have tried to copy his style and, and have failed miserably as far as a director is concerned, we've also had other people that have tried to steal his dialogue and it doesn't work either. And one of the things is is that you can pick up a script and read it and you can hear in your head the movie. But if you look at it as just words on a page, you're kind of like, how? How? How is this this? How is this this? And why can't I do this? Why? Why? <laughs> And I don't know what what that is, but he insp- he has inspired so many people with his work, and especially with this work, because man, it came roaring out. It, nothing oh. else was like this. There was yeah. nothing like this at all. If you look at the lineup of films in in 1994, some of them are. It's embarrassing that they were released the same year as this movie was. The fucking pet detective movie came out the same year as this movie. Forrest Gump. Don't remind me. Forrest, one of the great, quite possibly the greatest miscarriage of justice in the history of the Academy Awards. That Forrest Gump won Best Picture, nominated against this movie. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, do I like it? Oh, yeah, I, I love this movie. And uh, if you guys don't like violence, don't watch it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> if you guys don't like violence, don't watch it. If you guys get a little icked out because someone says the N-word, don't watch it. Oh, definitely don't watch now, it. Yeah, it's like reading but, Mark Twain. But here's the thing. Um, it's not used in uh, a way that doesn't fit with the characters that are in the movie, right? Right. It's not done to go, look what, I, look what word we used. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and it's still, even though it's really old at this point, 25 years, 20, something like that, 
Yeah, um, I think this year is 25 years, yeah. It's still fresh. It still looks great. It's still a gorgeous movie. And um, it deserves the praise that it's gotten. And just like almost every other film that has never been awarded an Academy Award, even though it was the best film of the year, right, Goodfellas? <laughs> this is one of those films that is better because it didn't get an Academy Award. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck the Academy Award. I think he got an Academy Award for Best Screenplay, right? It won, he won Best Screenplay, and I remember the speech that Tarantino gave because he said, I'm pretty sure this is the only time I'm going to be up here tonight, so I'm just going to say whatever I have to say. And he was right. Because <laughs> he knew what the Academy Awards was. Yeah. So that's, yeah, classic, Steve, classic. Oh, classic, 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 classic. classic, classic. And now's the time where we don't recommend something. Oh. Steve, do you have a movie that you don't want people to see? I sure do. Oh, boy. Oh, yes, I do. So oh, this this was John Travolta's comeback film. Well, I think this was actually one, his second or third comeback film, and he's had a few since. He's had a very up-and-down career, Mr. Travolta has. Um, but after Pulp Fiction came out, Travolta had a pretty good run for a few years. He made some... Yeah, it rekindled his... It gave him a huge boost to his career. Yeah, he made some movies that were genuinely really good movies and uh, a few that made a lot of money and a few that did both. So he had a good, he had a good <laughs> run. Uh, he, he eventually kind of hit the skids again, commercially and creatively. And unfortunately, I think he's still kind of in an off period of his career. Uh, People versus O.J. Simpson, notwithstanding, because he was really good in that. But he made a movie that I'm going to not recommend that is, I don't, it might not be the worst <sighs> movie he ever made, but it's one of the worst movies he ever made. It's a movie from 19, from, from 2007, actually. Okay. It's, it's John Travolta, um, Tim Allen. Oh, fuck. William H. Macy. Mm-hmm. Martin Lawrence. Keep going. It's a movie called Wild Hogs. Oh, don't don't watch this movie. This is a bad movie. This is a movie about four middle-aged guys who are having a midlife crisis and they decide to take a road trip on motorcycles. And it's like the least it's the least amount of thought possible to make a movie was put into this movie. All uh -huh. of these actors, the it, It's a Disney film, isn't it? Um I think it might be. Yes, it's Touchstone. Yeah. 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 Um they all play incredibly obvious character types that we've seen them play in other movies. Travolta is like the hotshot scumbag lawyer whose life falls apart when he realizes his beautiful wife wants a divorce and he had no idea that they were unhappy. Um Tim Allen is the dad who is estranged, who has trouble connecting with his son. Gee, you haven't heard that, haven't seen that one before. Uh -huh. William H. Macy is like the nerdy computer guy who doesn't know how to talk to girls. Martin Lawrence is the uh, black guy, the, the black guy. Well, and and the the like the henpecked husband whose wife walks all over him, you know. And it's like, okay. it's like okay, so they just didn't put any thought into any of this, and yeah. and it's not funny. It's excruciating. It's a terrible movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> why did you watch it? It looked bad even from the beginning. I was like, why? Because why I, does this exist? Because I have a sickness. You do have I, a sickness. I have, I have a bad sickness. Just because they made it doesn't mean you'd have to watch it. I know. I'm sorry. But yeah, don't don't watch Wild Hogs. That is my not recommendation. There's honestly, especially if you like Pulp Fiction, if you want to see more of quality Travolta after seeing Pulp Fiction, if you haven't seen Get Shorty yet, watch that. That's really good. Yeah, uh, good. Don't don't watch Wild Hogs. Whatever you do, that is my no. that is my not recommendation. 
Okay, my not recommendation comes from the same year as Pulp Fiction, because that's what I do. Yeah. I take a movie from the same year that the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1994. There's a couple of good movies, and there was an ocean of shit. Oh, boy. And <laughs> I, who I wanted something that was similar in tone, maybe something quirky, maybe something a little bit funny, or at least trying to be made by another person that's supposedly an auteur, and they made a movie this year that is so god-awful, and oh, Jesus. And it also stars Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman's in this, too. She had two Ooh. movies that came out. How about like that? Like, the same month. Well, no, <laughs> May and October. And so the, the movie that I'm talking about is um, based on a book by Tom Robbins that was written in the 1970s. Ooh. And the book is called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. <gasps> oh. Don't watch it. Don't. I don't care if it was directed by Gus Van Sant. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. It's a dated, not funny, bullshit piece of shit. It's so bad. It is so fucking boring. It is one of the worst quote-unquote quirky movies out there. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't. You can say anything before it, the answer is it doesn't. Is, does it manage to be funny? It doesn't. Does it manage to be interesting? It doesn't. Does it engage your attention? It doesn't. <laughs> don't see it. It's bad. I don't know. I can't remember who else is in it. It's about cowgirls and cranes and <laughs> models. And, uh, do the do the cowgirls get the blues at least? I don't care. Okay. It's about a ranch standoff and other bullshit. It's <laughs> written in the 70s for fuck's sake. Ugh. The don't. And that's it. Hey, Steve, guess what? What? You have a terrible choice. Oh, I love these. Oh, God. Okay. Now, normally is the time where, back in the old days, when I cared about Steve's opinion and about what we do on the show, I would ask him to mention something that he'd like to review, and I would take it into consideration and usually agree out of courtesy. But... I got sick of that shit and said, hey, who edits this show anyway? Well, it's me. Well, thank you, me. So I just started giving him no choice and just saying what we were going to do, which isn't terribly fair, is it, Steve? Well, but, you know, it's it, it, it's the job, really. He'll take it. I'll take he'll, it. He'll, I'll, he'll, I'm happy for any work I can get. That's right. So now I like giving him a choice, a blind choice between two movies that I've picked, and he has to pick one of them. Oh, boy. So the choices are A or B, Steve. A or B. You know what? I went with A last time, and it turned out good, so I'm going to go with A again. You're going to go with A again? I'm going to say A. Oh, good! Okay, Steve. Hey, everybody. For our next review, you're going to be able to watch this on YouTube because it's there. Oh, boy. It's a little movie that was has been made four times. <laughs> and it's about people being stars. Oh, interesting. And becoming famous. And then the guy dies at the end. Hmm. The movie that we're going to review next is the one that started it all, Steve. The one that started it all. Oh. The movie we're going to review... Is a star is born. Oh, 1937. The ninth, the that's the original one. That's the original. The original one. 1937. A star is Technicolor, born. Technicolor. A star is born. Oh boy! You can find the whole thing on YouTube. So have fun <laughs> with that, everybody. Yay! I can't wait. Oh boy! All the tropes. Oh boy. <laughs> Now, originally, the horrible choice yeah. was going to be <laughs> was going to be all four of the films, A, B, C, or D, and you were going to have to pick which one we were going to do. Yes. But the last one would violate our 10-year rule. Ah, that's true, because it just come out last year. 
So it was going to be A, B, or C, uh, which was going to be the original. The one with what's her face, uh, Judy Garland, <laughs> Julie Gar- Garland, or the one with Barbara Streisand. Ah. But I decided not to do that because that's not really a choice. You're just choosing between which one we're going to do. <laughs> so you chose the original. We're going to do the original. Yay! You want to know what B was? Yeah, please, Mommy Dearest. Oh, <laughs> oh. We'll come back to that another time, probably, when I give you another horrible choice. I hope so. Ah, so, if you guys want to get all the jokes, rush off to YouTube and type in A Star is Born 1937. You'll find it there. (laughs) Or if you want to pay someone money, I'm sure you can find it somewhere else. It's hot, hot, hot right now, because we got the Lady Gaga version, right? Yeah, and I guess wait a few more years and there'll be another one. Yeah, maybe we'll find, maybe by observing the 1937 version, we'll figure out why they keep remaking (laughs) this fucking movie. We don't need this many. No, we don't. We've got we it. We don't need this many. We got it. We're good. We're good. We get it. And that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening in to our review of Pulp Fiction for late seating. This has been Jason Harding. And go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Don't you hate that? What? What I hate? Uncomfortable what, silences. What? Oh, um, I, this is where I say other lines of the... I was, I'm sorry, I was thinking about something else. Oh, sorry. I was just, I was doing a thing, you know, because usually I quote a line of dialogue, and this time yeah. I quoted the uncomfortable silence, so I was just doing That's like a riff on that. That's not quoting anything. It's just being quiet for the whole time. It's just being quiet for the whole time. I thought you had had a stroke, but Steve. But it's meaningful. It's. I thought you, you just, you froze. I thought the Skype froze, and I was like, what is he saying? How am I going to react to it? Well, you're reacting to it just fine now. I'm not. I'm panicking. It was an uncomfortable silence. Quick, give me like, a different line. Okay. Please, I have nothing to react to. Okay, um, go into that bag and find my wallet. Okay, which one is? Is it this one? Is it this one that says that says mommy's favorite son? Is it this one? That's it. Yes, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. There, Wait, see, you don't want this this skit to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do what Tarantino would do and subvert expectations. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one okay. that says uh, Camp Acampua, nineteen sixty-seven? Is that good? Give me that one too. Okay, I'll give me that one too. How about How about this one that says? Um Star Trek and it's got look, it's got Spock on it. Oh, give me that one. Yeah, head. give me that one. Okay, I'll give I'll give you that yeah, one yeah, yeah. too. How about oh, this, this one that doesn't says have nothing? Any money in it. Huh? Not everyone embosses their wallets with stuff. Just a plain wallet. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just plain. Nah, I don't want it. Okay, it's got a lot of money. Oh, give me anyway, it. Anyway, let about- me see it. <sighs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Ah, you need to learn to play along better. That would have ended a long time ago. All that comedy gold just lay on the floor. I did not always affirm. Actually, I, I, actually, did. I did, and that's what that's what killed you the did. skit. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, give me that one. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.